You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. That means that when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. So today's passage is Psalm 46. So please turn there in your physical copy or digital copy. It will also be displayed on the screen. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil, there is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop your fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you have said that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than any sword, that it penetrates to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. You've said that you've made it able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts. So please enable me to speak from your word faithfully today and please cause it to do what you have promised that it will. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen. Uh, The article was published in the Sydney Morning Herald on Sunday the 30th of November 2000. Its title was, The Badly Secret That Many Don't Want to Hear About. And it reads like this. Last Sunday, 19-year-old Aaron Badley grabbed his Australian Open trophy, leaned into the microphone and tried to tell us the secret of his astonishing success. But only the Herald Sun and one other city newspaper in Australia felt free to quote his words the next day. Isn't that strange? You see, if Badley had said, for instance, that he owed it all to his mum or his childhood coach, would you expect our newspapers to avoid reporting his words? Of course not. So why the reluctance to publish to publish the first words badly used in Sunday's victory speech, where he said, I thank my Lord and Saviour for being with me. Now, let me say, the author of this observation 
uh, followed this up with the following additional comment. In 20 years as a journalist, I have noticed how many colleagues tend to switch up or smirk when talk turns to Christ. The, re the result of a quiet censorship is that the Christian God gets plenty of bad press and almost no good press. Now that 22-year-old article, because that's how old it is now, that 22-year-old article is very interesting, isn't it? Think about it for a moment. It demonstrates that the world we live in is a world often set against God's people. In this case, the world sets itself against God's people through just ignoring what they say about their God that they worship. In other words, um, it's sim they simply regard God as an irrelevance. Something not to be put in the paper at all, something to just be thrown aside and more concentrate on the actual results. There's no, um, there's, there's no aggressiveness toward the Christian faith in this case, even though it's sometimes present. It, it, in other parts of the world, uh, Christians are still tortured, killed and maimed because they dare to worship such a God. Even in Australia, we see times when our country is actively and aggressively against us because we are God's people. Perhaps it even got worse over those 20 plus years. I, I suspect it has got worse over those last 20 plus years. More flack, fun making of Christian belief, belittling or opposition to the morals and standards that we have and bear and hold dear. Sometimes I think there are attempts to actively drag us away from Christian convictions. Or people overcome by the difficulty of being Christian in a godless world. Such may cause dropping out of faith, mightn't it? Or dropping in commitment. Or moral cave-in. Or simply drifting away from a firm conviction to Christ to something else. So how should we respond to all of this? To these things that are happening in our country and growing in some senses... How should we respond to a world set against us or against our beliefs or even against our God and his Messiah? What do you think? What should we do? Well, I think that God has a word for us in this psalm that I've chosen for today. As a follow-on, as a sort of practice example of what we've been doing the last day or two, the questions that we have, the answers that we seek from God, are the sorts of things that I think Psalm 46 addresses in its own way. So I want you to have your Bibles open, have a look at it with me and follow with me. Let's take a look at it together. Perhaps it has some guidance for us living in this part of the world and being people of faith. So turn with me to Psalm 46. And as we start, let me remind you that the Psalms of the Old Testament are sort of were designed to be corporately sung. Right? So you actually... You would have sung them, not just listened to them. They were ancient equivalents of our hymns, our songs, our, our choruses. The, the leftovers of that can be seen occasionally, even within the psalms itself. Uh, for example, this psalm has some musical items in it. Right? Uh, have a look, musical terms in it. Take a look at it in your Bibles. The leftovers still there, like I said. For example, find a little word. Can you see it there? Selah. S-E-L-A-H. That occurs three times in the psalm. Uh, in fact, that word divides the psalm into three sections, verses 1 to 3, verses 4 to 7, verses 8 to 11. It, no one really quite knows, except it may have been a little musical interlude or something like that. Um, 
So let's just work through these three sections and see what the psalmist is trying to say. So look at verses 1 to 3. Follow with me. They say, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is to be found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles, though the, and the mountains topple, and into the sea, depths of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Those initial verses of our psalm speak of the end of time, I think. A time when the world will perish and change its shape. The nation of Israel knows this, is, this time is coming. They acknowledge it in this song. They even face it with courage. And together they say, even though those times of great turmoil, coming, even though the huge everlasting mountains should actually topple into the sea, even though the whole of creation should rise up against us and swallow us up, still we will not fear. For God is our refuge and strength. Now, as we hear their confidence, uh, we, we can't help but wonder, how can they be so bright about this? How is it that the nation of Israel can be so confident? Why is it that not even the total collapse of the world even frightens them or its potential to collapse? Well, the answer is really simple for an Israelite. And Israelite, the Israelite answers that they worship the Lord of creation. He is the one who rules over creation. He is the one who controls it. And if this Lord is for his people, then not even the cataclysmic collapse of all of creation can harm them. But that attitude, let me say, that confidence only raises another question, doesn't it? And what is that question? It's this. How can Israel actually be that confident? How can she be sure that the Lord of creation is for her? How can the people of God know that the God of all the earth will protect them, care for them, have their future in mind? And I want you to hang on to that question. We'll come back to it later. But in the meantime, let's move to the second portion of the psalm. So move to verses 4 to 7. They read like this. There is a river that its streams delight the city of God, a holy dwelling place of the Most High. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? There's, there's this, this city with a river flowing through it, uh, and, and it's glorious. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage, yes. Kingdoms topple, yes. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. First thing I want you to notice about this section is that it shows a marked change of mood, doesn't it? When you compare it to those first few verses, these verses are very different. In verses 4 and 5, the tumult of verses 1 to 3 is replaced. It's replaced now by this wonderful, glorious picture of a peaceful... Uh, well, it's peaceful... Uh, of a river flowing just gently through this city. Wild waves of the sea are now replaced by calm, refreshing waters of just a gentle stream in the mountains. Then in verse 6, we return to the tumult and chaos that was present back in 1 to 3. However, this time there's a difference. This time the tumult 
And the chaos is no longer the shaking of nature against Israel. No, no, it's something very different this time. It is the raging of the nations against the capital city of God's holy city, Jerusalem. But roar as they do. Do you notice this? Roar as they do. All that God has to do in response is to speak. And all the earth and the nations melt before him and his voice. So verses 1 to 3 show us, there's the Lord of creation. Verses 4 to 7 show us, there's the Lord of history. The Lord who controls history, the the God who works history. And he is for his people. Look at verse 7 again. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. However, uh, this abundant confidence simply leads us back to the question we asked earlier. What was it? How can Israel know? How can they know this to be true? How can they know that the Lord of all creation is for her, for them? How can she know that the Lord of armies is with them? How can the people of God know that the God of all the earth will protect them and care for them? And it's here that verses 4 to 5 come to our aid. Look at them. Before we look at them, though, we need to remember a bit of Israelite history. I need to just tell you a bit in case you've forgotten or didn't know. You see, when Israel was rescued out of Egypt, they knew God was with them because he led them with with a very visible pillar of fire. He led them through the wilderness like that. And they knew he was with them because of the Ark of the Covenant that travelled with them. The Ark travelled with them and its presence told them, God is amongst us. He's bound to us with covenant. He's made a contract with us. We are together. He is our God. We are his people. Israel knew this. And uh, he would protect them. He would keep them. And when they finally entered into the promised land, they kept this ark, this movable, in, in their movable tabernacle, as it were. And then finally, they moved the ark to Jerusalem and they placed it in the temple that they had built. And from that moment on, you see, whenever they looked toward Jerusalem or the temple, whenever they faced that way, Whenever they were in trouble, they turned that way and they remembered, God is with us. They remembered that that ark represented his presence amongst his people and the covenant he had made with them, the promises he had given to them. He, the Lord, would be with them. He would care for them. He would protect them. He would keep them safe. That's what verses 4 and 5 are about. If you're wanting to know, Israel believed that although the earth should move, though the nation should rage, God's people will not be moved because God is present with his people. He was with the city. He was with his people. The Lord of creation, the Lord of history is present and on their side. And that brings us to our third section of the psalm. Have a look at it. Verses 9 to 11. Let's uh, reread it. And I'll read from verse 8. The psalmist says, Come, see the works of the Lord, 
who brings devastation upon the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop fighting. Stop struggling, one of the versions translations has. Stop struggling and know that I am God. Exalted among the, the nations, exalted on the earth, the Lord of armies. Then they have this reply. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, our stronghold. Now, now these verses, what do they do? Well, they return us to thinking about the end of time again. They give us a vision of the end and they called issued by God to the nations to come and see what he's done. In other words, God's saying, come, come, take a look at this. He calls them to come and see three things. What are they? How he's stilled the earth and the nations. How he's brought peace in the midst of a troubled world. And how he will give the world peace by his word and his acts. In this section, the nations are also called to recognize this. They are called to recognize that it is God that they are striving with and striving against and that he, despite them, will be exalted whether they like it or not. Therefore, they're to stop this, this striving. They're to be still and they are to know that he alone is God. And that, as that goes on, Israel is to listen in, as it were. You see, he's been speaking to the nations and Israel is to listen in. They are to recognise a new fact about God. What is that fact? That fact is that not only is he God, the Lord of all creation, not only is he the Lord of all history, no, he's also the Lord of all that will happen in the last days. Israel's to know this and rejoice it. Their, their future is determined by him. They're to join in and proclaim, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Now let me say that although the psalm does not use the word faith or belief, it is a magnificent expression of faith and belief, isn't it? It's a psalm of triumph, isn't it? It's bold, very strong. It demonstrates that the people of God can face the present and the future unafraid despite impending catastrophe. Why? Because their true security is not found in themselves but in God and God alone. Because he knows that God, sorry, Israel knows that God is with her and therefore nothing can be against her. God is for them. Now what about the implications of this psalm for us then? Because we're not Israelites, are we? We don't have a city that we can look toward, as it were. How does it apply to us? How can we have the same sort of confidence that they have? Can we have that same sort of confidence? Can we have the same sort of security that they have or are meant to have? Well, let's see what the New Testament has to say. Come with me. The first thing I want you to do is turn in your Bibles to Mark 4, 35 to 41. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and let me read it to you. It's a well-known story. Here it is. That day when evening came, he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. 
Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he just rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? And they were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this that even wind and waves obey him? Who is this? The story is clear, isn't it? Who is he? He's the Lord of creation. Just like his father. He governs and controls all created forces. He starts them when he likes. He stops them when he likes. He's the Lord of creation. Can you see that? That is what this text is saying. Now I want you to come with me to Acts chapter 4 in your Bibles again. Verses 23 to 31. It's a longer passage. But let's have a look at it and see what it says. Acts 4, 23 to 31. Um, After they were released, this is the disciples, they went to their own people and reported everything um, the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through your Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his anointed or his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together, Against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. In other words, the world set themselves against him. To do whatever your hand and your hand uh, and your will had uh, predestined to take place. And now Lord consider their threats. And grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now, can you see what's going on here? It's very interesting. You see, here in this story, we see the nations raging against the people of God. That's what this is about. That's what the disciples say. And do you know what? We see them quietly confident as they were back in Psalm 46. Or not they were, but their predecessors were. For again, they know God is for them and with them. He's on their side. You see, the Lord of history, the God who created the earth is for them, with them. He's the Lord of history just as he was in Psalm 46 and he is for his people. Now let's return, let's go back to our Bibles again and go to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. And let me read these to you. We hear this. Then I saw heaven opened. There was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name was called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. Now it's picture language being used here but you understand what's going on. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it and he will rule them with an iron rod he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the almighty and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh king of kings and lord of lords now these verses are clear again here the word of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of last things brings his people to safety and security through any tumult, even at the end of time itself. It's peering into history and saying, if, you, if God is for you, it will be okay. He will do for this new people the same as he promised his ancient people way back in Psalm 46. He will be the same God as he was then. But there's one question that still remains. And perhaps some of you are thinking of it. In Psalm 46, the ancient people of God knew that God was with them because of the very visible symbols that they had in the Ark of the Covenant and Jerusalem and the Temple. That is, they could, they could look some, towards something physical. They could see it and they knew that while those things existed, they were okay. But do you know what? At the time of the writing that I've referred to, uh, well, sorry, at, at the time of the New Testament, when Jesus comes, the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant no longer existed. Nor did the temple. And Jerusalem is and always has been the focus of dispute and conflict, even now, even in our world today. So how do we know that God is with us as the Lord of creation. How can we have the same confidence that Psalm 46 has? How can we know that the Lord of history is for us? That he's the Lord of last things for us as well. How do we know that God is with us to save us? And to protect us? And to care for us? How do we know? How do we know that he's our, like the psalmist says, our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble? Can we know? How can we be secure in God's care for us? Well, let me answer by teaching you a bit of Hebrew. Actually, most of you will know this word, but pretend you don't for a moment. Okay? I'll teach you a bit of Hebrew. Ancient Hebrew word for with us. It's one word. Imanu. Imanu. That word is used in Psalm 46 where we are told that the Lord of hosts is with us. Well, this same word with us occurs somewhere else in the New Testament. Flip in your Bibles or your digital media to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. These verses contain the prophecy about the birth of Jesus. And let's see what they have to say. 
Look at it with me and listen to what God says. Now all of this, we're told, took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Did you hear it? Did you see it? That name has two parts. Imanu, which means with us. And second, El, which means God. So the word Emmanuel, when you put the two together, means God with us. So the New Testament equivalent to the Ark of the Covenant, the city of Jerusalem, the temple, is what? It is for Christians, the person of Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew 1, 22 to 23. These verses contain the prophecy of the birth of Jesus and look at what they have to say. It is so strong. When we believe in Jesus, when we trust in him, when we accept him as God's means of salvation, when we allow him to rule our lives, then he is our security. He is God's guarantee. That he will, care, he will be with us to care for us, protect us, look after us. Therefore, friends, today I want to encourage you. If you are Christian here today, I want you to look at the world that we see and the threats that it poses. And if you're scared of them, I want to encourage you. You see, our world looks increasingly fragile. It's a world that often assaults the people of God. It's, a, it's often a place that ignores the people of God, isn't it? In a world that often tempts to tear us away from true belief in God. That's what our world is like. It wants to tear us away from what people think is a ludicrous idea. Faith in God. I want you, though, as we've read Psalm 46 and as we've seen its follow through in the New Testament, I want you to be encouraged. Although the media does not know and understand us, although the world may ridicule us for our faith, although everything seems set against us, although everything seems fragile and ready to fall in, although our future might seem frail, let me tell you something from this psalm and from the New Testament. God will be exalted. God will be exalted. God will be known as the almighty God, even by the journalists of our world. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that his son, Jesus Christ, is the Lord of all. Sisters and brothers in Christ, if that's who you are here today, take courage. Even in the face of opposition, rejoice. God is with us. He is for us. Jesus is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord of history. He is the Lord of the last things. He is the Lord of everything. The God of all the world is our stronghold. He's a very present help in trouble.
Let us not fear or fall away, but trust in him and march on confident in him. Our security is tied with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, that in him we see you to be the Lord of creation and of history and of last things and of everything. Thank you that in Jesus, you, the God of all the world, is our stronghold, a very present help in trouble. So please, Father, help us to be confident, not fear, fall away, but trust in you through trusting in your Son. Help us to be confident as we live in your world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.